Darcy Williams had come barreling into the world two weeks early, all lungs and legs and attitude, as her mother had often told everyone from the mailman to the checkout clerk. Darcy had been headstrong and stubborn, the kind of girl who spent more time in the principal's office than in a classroom. From day one, Her mother had thrown up her hands and given up trying to corral her wild child. Darcy didn't care. She'd much rather make her own rules than live under someone else's. Because if there was one thing she'd learned growing up in the historic and stodgy town of Plymouth, it was this. There were a lot of rules made by people with more money than sense. Darcy had been labeled as one of those wrong-side-of-the-tracks girls, though there'd never been any real railroad tracks near her house, just a general sense of despair, as if even the houses had given up on living up to the lofty examples set by the Tony neighborhoods further north. When she'd been a little girl, Darcy hadn't noticed that dividing line, It wasn't until sixth grade that she noticed there was a whole other world outside her own, one where the boys wore khakis and blazers, and the girls sported shiny ribbons in their hair and shoes as pristine as newly painted walls. Then there'd been Darcy and her friends, wearing hand-me-downs and carrying peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in paper bags reused so often they had permanent creases. The kids in their pressed shirts and shiny shoes didn't understand, couldn't possibly understand, what life was really like when you were living in a double-wide, surrounded by weeds. On the days when Darcy found her mother passed out in the recliner, an empty amber bottle on the folding table beside her, Darcy would hop on her bike, cut through the busy Plymouth tourist traffic, pedaling hard and fast, almost out of breath, until she reached the seawall that curved away from the Massachusetts coastline like an arm reaching into the sea. She would walk all the way to the end, past the spot where the tourists stopped, at the point where the wind and waves crashed over the rocky path and turned treacherous. Darcy always ventured as far as she could, because there she knew she could see the very tip of Fortune's Island, nestled in the crook of the elbow of Massachusetts, like a protected kitten. Fortune's Island was the forgotten stepchild of the island surrounding the humble state where pilgrims first landed. It lacked the upper-crust visitors of Martha's Vineyard and the haughty attitude of Nantucket. For generations, Fortune's Island had been one of the best-kept secrets in Cape Cod Bay, far from the tourist traffic its southern cousins attracted. Then Brewster Matheson came along, a self-made man who practically sweated money, and decided to turn Fortune's Island into something worth visiting. He'd been named honorary mayor, 
renamed it from its old moniker of Gull Island, and been, for a time, revered as the island's benefactor. For a while, the island had been the it place for the wealthy, who lay on the beach and complained in weary tones about how commercial the vineyard had become. Then, like all things hot, Fortune's Island hit its peak as a destination, then began to fall off in favor of the next big thing.